welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. Alright, I think this is take five or six. Let's see if I can get through this without uh, blabbering on too long and, and swearing. So, um, in this episode, I'm just going to take some calls uh, from a few people who I'll introduce as the calls come. And, uh, you know, maybe respond to those in a, in a, a clear uh, and concise way. Um, who knows, maybe I'll tack something on to the end as well. Anyway, let's get on with it. Hey Rob, Jason here. While you're tying that around your head, about 14 minutes into your episode, I figured I'd give you a call. Yeah, I, I also have not been thrilled with the quality of the print on demand books from drive through that said they are doing us great service by offering anything at all right so like you say it's some of these originals are really hard to get and even the original books that i have for games that aren't available that way like top secret or some of these other games i'm actually in the process of making my own copy of them because i don't want to destroy the original books so even though the quality isn't great, they are doing us a great favor. If only they would do spiral bound or ring bound, or I guess you could get them. I don't know if they leave enough room there, though, to punch holes in, like the original second edition Monster Manual had, where you could put them in a binder kind of thing. That would be handy. But I, I don't know if they're allowing that or doing that. As far as second edition goes, you're right. I almost turned off your podcast as you mentioned, non-Gygaxian D&D. But, honestly, you're running Dark Sun. And you haven't talk, really talked about that yet, but I'm a big fan of trying it the way it was designed. And Dark Sun was designed for 2nd edition, so it makes sense to use 2nd edition to run Dark Sun. So I'm not going to give you a hard time over that. I'm not give you a hard time anyway. I don't know if you're going to talk about it. Some of the big differences to me, you mentioned the Demons, the Devils, and the Half-Orcs, Assassin, things like that. Initiative is... Is it stands out as a difference, and the experience points and, and the way we do experience stands out as big differences. Obviously, later on with all the splat books and the different class options and things, you have a lot of difference. But to me, some of the core differences in the game system when we look at experience and we look at um, initiative. But okay, by now you've probably tied that around your head, so let me get back to the episode. That, of course, was Jason from. Nerds RPG Variety Variety Cast. Let me say that again. Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Um, so thank you, Jason, for the call in. Uh, I I don't disagree that um, the uh, PODs are doing a great service to the uh, fan base. As you say, they're hard to get a hold of a lot of these adventures, uh, modules, supplements, uh, books. So. Uh, great, you know, uh, a lot of the books that I have are PODs. If they're not available, I'll usually try and pick up a reasonably priced um, uh, second-hand copy if I can. Um, bearing in mind that I'm in Japan and I've got considered various other costs like postage and so on. Um, well, that's the case of uh, PODs as well, really, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's all good stuff. Um, there are some differences, as you point out, between first and second edition, but really, you know, they are um, fairly minor 
when you look at the jump between second and third edition or third and fourth or fourth and fifth. So in my mind, there isn't such a great difference between first and second, you know, and I hate to say it. I know people, it upsets people, but it's really, really, really pretty much the same game. Um, they are totally compatible with one another um, with a couple of rule swap outs which can be affected across the board. The major thing, um, and I, I don't consider surprise or the Thaco system or anything else as being that major because it can just be swapped over without affecting your character. The major things would probably be the ranger, the way the ranger has worked out, maybe the magic, the spells. Okay, that's fairly major, isn't it? Um, the XP system, yeah, there is the alternative XP system, which you seem to be referring to, but the base XP system is essentially the same as first edition. So you get experience for killing monsters, slightly inflated compared to first edition, though. And monster XP doesn't isn't based on hit points, um, unlike first edition. Uh, so that makes it a little bit easier to, to uh, work out. Um, you get one XP per gold piece of treasure, typically. Um, and there's also the possibility of um, idea, uh, points for idea or other, other um, tasks completed, if you like. Um, what I was really referring to was using the optional, some of the optional ideas for XP as rather than individual XP awards as um, as awards that will be shared amongst all the players who uh, all the, the entire party um, in which those uh, individuals are uh, acting one because I'm not a big fan of giving one person XP better XP because they engaged more or they role played more or they were more you know talkative perhaps more um overbearing who knows and um and not as many xps to those that don't talk as much um just doesn't work for me so I, i'd rather just keep it equal if there's a problem with with people's uh, engagement or uh, involvement in a game that can be resolved in other ways than xp i think um i'm walking as usual while i'm talking so try and keep the thoughts in step um, so yeah, you know, there's probably something else I was going to say there, uh, but uh, I won't go into it. Um, yeah, so there are a couple of differences in the way the classes act. Um, not so much fighters and and the thieves. You know, their their skills can be shared out, but if you're converting from first to second, um, you can just convert the the skills as is and they haven't actually lost or gained any points probably as far as I can tell because I do see that the the average thief skills per level are exactly the same as those for first edition so even if you don't allot points uh, assign points to certain skills overall you're you've got the same points so you could just flip over uh, fighter cleric the, the spells work a little different so you're going to have to work out your the impact of your um, is it a domain I forget your your clerical domain and how that affects 
you, the weapons, the armor, um, the spells that you can use. That's that's fairly large um, effect, but it can be controlled a little. Um, similarly, magic users, the way that the uh, the generic kind of magician class works. Is it called the magician? Forget. Um, and the spe- uh, specialist work is a little different from the old uh, magic user and illusionist. But um, with a bit of work, I think you can get there. Um, the spells aren't really all that different. They're a little bit... Uh, you know, they, they take some of the spells from Unearthed Arcana that are less, um, less mental. Um, and it, the thing I like most, actually, about the magic system is the fact that they take the all of those cantrips and just bottle it down into one spell called cantrip. Um, and it has whatever limited effect you wish, but uh, and has some kind of um, scope, some limitations on how you might uh, judge the effects of that cantrip. But uh, that's, that's a much better way for me uh, than the system which the originally suggested in Unearthed Arcana for first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons um, yeah uh, the Ranger is one I mentioned earlier right um, anybody who knows the second edition Ranger realises that suddenly rather than the class being based around a kind of Aragorn um, Rangers of the North concept where you've got these these um, this kind of knightly order in a, in a way who operate out in the wilderness to protect the borderlands from incursions by uh, humanoids and giants and so on um, into into civilized areas a, a, a very much a good or in the older original uh, game a lawful uh, class um, what we see in second edition is it turns from that it's it transforms from that kind of a Aragorn kind of archetype um, into into a um, Drizzt Duerden. I don't don't ask me how it's spelled. Drizzt uh, Duerden kind of a template where you've got a dual wielding um, character with his animal pet, um, animal companion. I should say, could be a panther. Yeah. Um, Etc. Etc. Um, there's some things about that ranger class that I, I actually do like. Um, the fact that they can hide in um, in the wilderness and they can move silently in the wilderness, um, similar to the way that thieves work, um, and that kind of fits the concept very well, even with the old concept of the the uh, Aragorn or kind of uh, Rangers of Athelion, Lord of the Rings type ranger. Very cool. Um, but the dual wielding, I don't know, it just seems like they were trying too hard there to uh, fit, fit that into the uh, new franchise, uh, Drizzt franchise and all the books and stuff. A little bit for me, you know, um, it's a bit too much of a, a change. And the, the um, ability, if you like, the uh, skill of um, doing extra damage to giant kind which was a, a bizarre kind of skill, but what it effectively was was that they acted as kind of slayers against certain creatures, um, typically um, the typical humanoids, um, goblins, orcs, or goblins, gnolls, and the, the, uh, the giants, um, ogres, uh, and so on. 
that we're all bundled into this giant class um, curiously named I think there is a reason for that but I'm not going to um, try and work out what it was at the moment <laughs> um, and that, that ability still is retained in second edition but it's um, it's somewhat um, weaker um, than in the than in the first edition so that's the big thing for me um, yeah finally this has gone on for a bit long <laughs> finally Jason I think um, I agree it is there is something to be said for using the original system for a setting or for a module or whatever it might be uh, not least of which is that you don't have to convert a lot of material because it's already done for you so um, you know we'll um, it's definitely giving us the opportunity to to you know stick a toe a big toe in the in the waters of second edition and dark sun and and that is uh, definitely a good thing I think that people get to experience the different systems and uh, see the differences and how they work and, and the similarities too um, I'm thinking as I go through the game in fact that playing um, second edition and realizing how it works they, they can see that the underlining excuse me the underlying uh, structure isn't actually so different it's just that the way the things are worked out or described is different um, so when we do go back to first edition which will likely happen I don't imagine we'll convert to second edition for our Greyhawk campaign but when we do go back to the first edition Greyhawk um, hopefully you know, they'll see how uh, smooth and easy first edition actually is um, in comparison to any other edition um, beyond the eight, after the 80s, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, all good stuff. Let's get on to the next call. But thank you so much, Jason, for that. And I think I have actually a, a few more calls from Jason, which I'll, I'll queue up next. Okay, finished your episode. And yeah, it sounds like that is a good way to go for your group. If everybody's into it, hopefully it'll be better. As far as Mithras goes, I, I hope everybody's up for reading that. The combat and stuff in Mithras is pretty crunchy, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but it's definitely crunchier than BRP is. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of player buy-in you get with learning the ins and outs of Mithras. As far as the messages go, what I found is if I'm using my phone to put the episode together, sometimes messages that I save to the episode won't play on my phone, but they still play. Like if I go to the computer, they'll play. And when I actually publish the episode, they play. But for whatever reason, they don't play in the app on the phone. And I don't understand why. BJ and Joe have also noticed this on their phone app. So it's something to do with the app. But, they, but, the, but the messages are actually there, even though you can't hear it on the app, which is annoying. Anyway, talk to you later. Yeah, so Mithras. <clears throat> I'd like to get back to Mithras. BRP, you know, rune, rune Quest. Or if not, maybe some kind of like trimmed down version of Rune Quest. Perhaps something like uh, Cthulhu um, Dark Ages. Is that what it's called? Cthulhu Dark Ages, something like that. Um, which is closer to Stormbringer in some ways, the way the combat works and so on. And that could be a, 
a, a good way of going about it because I do remember that the f- people had a good time with uh, Call of Cthulhu um, and didn't have so many problems with that. So um, perhaps the answer is to, to go somewhere like that, get everybody so used to the system that they don't um, have a problem and, and in fact perhaps welcome some extra complexity to uh, combat later including, you know, hit locations and all that kind of thing. Um, but <clears throat> we'll, we'll see, you know. Um, I do agree, yeah. Um, the thrust isn't, isn't easy. I, I think if people put the time in, um, most groups that, that, that enjoy um, the combat aspect of role-playing games have a lot... There's a lot in there. Um, they have a lot to gain from from digging into BRP because just the, it's so exciting. Um, and I don't think I speak merely for myself, but there, you know, there's ways of of easing some of these more complex combat rules from Mithras into BRP or into Mithras, um, drip by drip. And I think Anthony of uh, um, Runeslinger. Goodness, I'm blanking on his role playing <laughs> on his uh, podcast. I'll, I'll come back to that later. But uh, Runeslinger has uh, has uh, presented some ideas on that before. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a possibility going forward. But for now, yeah, um, it's always best to just do do something that people can enjoy without having to rack their brains too much, um, and also do something that they actually really want to do you know from themselves they've actually volunteered to do that so that's it (laughs) um oh as for the um the issues with um call-ins and putting those up from anchor uh, discord was it um interestingly enough i haven't had any issues with that this time so uh, i don't know if that's uh just one of these little glitches that comes up from time to time or not uh we'll see Anyway, let's see what's up next. Ah, that's my mistake. There's another call from Jason. But there's a... After that, we've got a call from Joe um, of Hind Sightless Podcast. There you go, both of you. I had to repeat your 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 um, podcast names. So uh, Joe also calls in regarding some of the same issues as Jason. So I'm going to put them together and then comment... Um, at the end of that, in one go. Here we go. Jason first. Hey, Jason here. Really enjoyed your Just Enough Knowledge episode, the first session of Dark Sun Recap. Sounds like you did a great job and everybody had fun. Look forward to hearing future recaps and future thoughts on second edition rules. I don't know. I'm not it. Excuse me. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of those um, critical roles, the, the rules for that, confirming the critical and doing all that. Yeah, Pathfinder does do that, and it works okay. The saving grace, of course, is that we're doing it on the computer with a VTT, which I dislike, but with that automated roller, you click the button once and it rolls the attack, rolls the damage, checks to see if it's a critical, and if it and rolls the damage for the critical. So it really speeds up the process. As far as coup de gras go, yeah, I I think if you're striking at a helpless character 
you know, sleeping or held, and there are other combatants in the field, then I think doing weapon damage makes, you know, rolling ramp, rolling damage makes a lot of sense. I think, well, I guess if you're in combat, there are other capable opponents. Because if there aren't any other capable opponents, and there's no reason you can't just kill them outright in one round. But if there are other opponents on the field in the melee, then yeah, I think it's fair to have to roll damage because you can't put all your attention into slitting their throat. You have to worry about those other enemy opponents. So I think that's a good rule. Okay, I will. I, I'm not going to comment too much about all that stuff, but I do look forward to the future adventures and future thoughts. Take care, and I will talk to you soon. Hey, Minion. So I always love when you release an episode when you're out walking around because I just love listening to the background, the insects, the wind, the the cars. I just I love it. I get such an awesome picture of Osaka and it just it, it, it just pumps me up, man. But I thought it was especially awesome today because it was totally unintentional. But right when you said Something I forget exactly your word, but you said something like metal is rare in Athos when you're talking about your Dark Sun game. Right when you said that in the background, there was a sound and it sounded just like somebody like a blacksmith or metal worker was hammering on metal. Right when you said that, you could just hear this ting, ting, ting. And I was just like, dude, that's friggin' awesome, man. <laughs> I was just so stoked on that. It's just one of those little things that I noticed, and I was like, that kicks ass. Uh, but yeah, your your game sounds so much fun. I'm glad you got a good group together right now. I'm glad the first session rent, went really well from the sounds of it. Sounds like you got a really interesting party there. And yeah, uh, I love I love you using the confirmation crit rules so what we ended up doing in Pathfinder, instead of each time you can you can constantly confirm crits over and the damage keeps going up, we just did, if you roll three 20s in a row, whatever you're fighting, it dies. But the reverse of that is, if it rolls three 20s in a row against you, you die. And vice versa, if you roll three ones in a row, you die. If a monster rolls three ones in a row... It dies. And because it's so rare, it only came up once or twice in the years that we were playing. But it came up a lot where a player would roll a 1, and then another 1, and then an 11. And the whole table would lose their mind for a second because they thought it was the third 1. That happened way more often than you would think it would happen. But anyway, man, that was an awesome episode. I'm just really happy for you that things, you got a good group, it sounds like, man. And so, yeah, just keep on keeping on, dude. Take it easy. Peace out. So Jason, of course, was referring to a game in Pathfinder. Pathfinder, first edition, I believe, game that he's involved with, in which um, Joe, Joe of Hindsight, this is the GM, I believe. So that's kind of fun that they were talking about the same subject. Um, Joe points out this uh, great little way of saving some of the time, some of the uh, those extra dice rolls that Jason so fears that might come up and slow things down. Now, um, of course, Joe's, Joe's suggestion is pretty handy. It sounds like something that my group might go for. Apologize for the wind here. Um, there's one other rule, really, that I need to bear in mind before taking that... Uh, taking Joe up on that uh, suggestion, and that is the fact that in the second edition AD&D rules, 
any strike that does more than I think it's 50 damage in one in one blow I think that's a single blow not multiple attacks um, means that the person suffering that attack receives massive damage and must make a saving throw versus death or die immediately regardless of the number of hit points left um, so yeah I mean I could use the three rolls definitely quicker very unlikely to come up but if you get two 20s in a row there's always yeah as uh, as um, goodness why am I saying Rick I've definitely been watching too much Walking Dead <laughs> as um, Joe uh, Joe Richter that's why Joe Richter <laughs> as Joe points out excuse me guys I'm just a bit mad uh, as Joe points out um yeah, it builds up that tension, and that, and that is a that is a fun thing. That's not a waste of time. Um, so I get where Jason's coming from. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think there's moments when we do want to draw things out a little bit that it can actually add to the to the impact of uh, the, the drama of the game um, as is delivered to us through the through the rules. So uh, I'm not sure about that. I'll, I'll think about all the uh, implications first before I do anything but thank you so much both of you for your kind comments and uh, yeah Jay, um, Joe yeah I do not Jason <laughs> there I go again yeah Joe I, I, I um, it, it's funny how these things can sort of synchronize isn't it the sounds outside and uh, the calls that you get at any one time um, but uh, yeah cheers and uh, I'm glad you don't mind the sound of cars or rivers or whatever is going on in the background. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have a call-in from Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz of the uh, Dungeon Master's Handbook podcast. I didn't mess that one up, did I? I don't think I did this time. Okay, here we go. Take it away, Michael. Hello, Rob. It's Michael, Chicago Wiz. I'm listening to your Just Enough Knowledge episode, uh, maybe about a third to halfway through, and you were talking about how you had, uh, how you were using this adventure in Dark Sun, and you've made the comment several times about, well, I'm giving the players agency to do whatever they want, not as the story is written, and I, kind of reading between the lines, um, based on some of the things you mentioned in the past that, you know, Deviating from the the way the adventure lays out is is uh, it it sounds like it's a challenge, and I kind of thinking about this about how how I approach a um, adventure, and I, it's been my observation, and I don't know if this is true for you or not. Um, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but uh, maybe you fall into one of these two very large buckets. But I think there's there's a, a side of people when they buy an adventure, they see it as a flowchart, as a we're going to go from point A to point Z, and um, you know this is the way things are going to go. And then there's me, which slightly insane I don't know um, but when I get an adventure I see it like 
the image that comes to mind when I'm trying to describe this is I see an adventure like a barrel of monkeys. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about me, but I, I see it as opportunities, you know. So um, Village of Hamlet, you know, Team One, classic adventure, and, and I run it at, um, at, at GaryCon and GameholeCon and, and other conventions. And I saw it as a bunch of parts. And if I read it like a book and there's nobody doing anything, then it's a book. But I know that the players are going to come in like a uh, sawzall, you know, like, like a control or an uncontrolled explosion, and they're just going to do whatever. And so I kind of deconstruct the adventure into the barrel of monkeys, into all of these various possibilities. You know, if left alone, things will proceed as the adventure lays it out. But instead, when when I sit down with players, I'm thinking, what are the big chunks? What are the big themes? What are the big uh, opportunities? And what are the um, what are the you know the NPCs and the main themes and the main encounters and whatnot? And okay, take them kind of as their own bits. And as the players move through this area, move through this scenario, what's going to happen? What's going to change in response to what the players do? You know, I should probably do a podcast about this. Maybe for OSR October, I'll grab a couple of OSR adventures and uh, convert them to Chicago as his parable of monkeys. I don't know. But I, I think that there's definitely kind of a Broad, broadly speaking, two camps. People that see it as a map and a map that needs to be adhered to. And then there's my barrel of monkeys. I don't know. Um, but thanks for the inspiration on what I'm going to be talking about. And uh, maybe you can grab the next Dark Sun module and look for the barrel of monkeys. I don't know. Anyway, have fun and game on. Yeah, that's very much spot on. I've always been one who took, at least as a, a younger player, I took the materials that were published um, as well, as canon, I suppose, you know, um, and applied or uh, looked at them with as having a, a higher authority than I really should have, you know. Um, I'm not sure why that is maybe it's because uh getting into the hobby at 10 11 12 i guess we would have been 11 12 really when we were really starting to play we just saw everything coming out as so spectacular and um and thought provoking you know it's written by these these uh great people you know often we didn't know who wrote it but you know you get the idea you know it's out in print it, it had a a greater value to us than perhaps it really did have in in actuality but even today I, I find it very hard to um to pick up a piece of material and and make it my own um and that's something that i've been kind of growing into i've been trying to make a habit of more recently and i'm certainly very 
aware of the problem. Um, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> one of the good things, at least about this first adventure in the box set for Dark Sun, is that it is quite open to interpretation and it provides, um, it's more of a sandbox, as I probably said, than uh, many other adventures. And one of the things I'm a little bit worried about is that as the um, Dark Sun franchise became much more um, much more um, established, the adventures were closer and closer to the actual novels and so that they, there's a very clear plot and required development f to go from one module to the next module if you're playing them as a series. So you can see one of the concerns I have um, is that it's going to slip into a kind of Dragonlance mode where we're just sort of playing through a story that has been prefabricated by somebody else. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Um, but I think one of the things I really enjoy more and more about role-playing uh, games is what the unexpected brings to the table, what the player's uh, unexpected decisions bring to the table and my responses to them. Um, and so that's the real magic for me now. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd be very interested. Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a long topic, I think, and I'd be very interested to see what you have in mind, you know, when you're talking about your barrel, barrel of monkeys. Um, it's uh, probably an inexhaustible barrel of monkeys, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, so you probably want to name it the, the show uh, Chicago Wizards' Inexhaustible Barrel of Monkeys. Um, part one, part two, part three, you know, you get the idea. But yeah, I would really look forward to uh, seeing that. And um, and um, obviously a lot of people, it's not an issue. Um, others, um, perhaps, yeah, they, they do like, they have got a habit, established a habit of of traversing or reading something in a in a an established formulaic manner uh, like myself i do have that kind of uh, conservative streak in me when it comes to when it comes to the written word and stuff um, so uh, i don't know maybe maybe that's the last remnant of uh, prot protestantism in in the in the uh, in, in the dna you know in, in the uh, <laughs> culture trying to work its way out but anyway, um, yep, thank you so much for the call. And uh, thank you to everybody who's um, contributed to today's um, call-ins, uh, call-in show, which is really what it has become. So I think I'll just uh, wind it up here. Well, that's the end of the show. Um, thank you so much for listening. I had to miss out uh, on my Warhammer Fantasy roleplay adventure um, game yesterday that's been run by Tristan uh, because my daughter was visiting. So I thought, you know, I'll spend a little bit of time, as much time as I can with, with her as a family. Um, coming around next Sunday, a week, you know, just under a week now from today, is the uh, second session of our, of our uh, Dark Sun campaign so much to look forward to there um as you probably noticed i switched to calling the past 
like probably from two episodes back, I switched it over to the fifth series or something like that, fifth fifth season, whatever they call it, um, just because it seemed like the uh, Dark Sun um, Session Zero was more uh, sort of worked better as a better as a new series, um, especially after having taken a couple of months off from podcasting. Anyway, I hope that hasn't caused too much of a confusion. Any confusion. Uh, Right, so uh, again, thank you to uh, Joe of uh, Hindsightless Podcast, uh, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and Michael of uh, the Chicago Wiz of the Dungeon Masters uh, ha- Ooh, Dungeon Masters Handbook Podcast. Is it guide guidebook podcast? Oh my goodness, sorry about that, Michael. Um, anyway, I'll put it all in the notes. So thank you. And until next time, take care and enjoy your gaming. Bye-bye.